Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. Not every day that I get to preach from Revelation, so it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. Hear now the word of the Lord. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you, and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks, thanks be to God. Christianity, as it is, started as a social movement. This cannot be understated. This has to be fully understood as it is. Christianity in its beginnings, began as a social movement, not as an institutionalized religion. And the reason why this is so important for us to, to understand is because once Christianity does get into the whole institutionalized religion aspect around the 300s with uh, Constantine, uh, it, it, it begins to look very different. The Crusades are one example of that. Um, but, but really, I mean, Constantine ends, ends up embroidering on his shield uh, the sign of the cross, believing that to be the protection for the armies. Uh, Constantine himself was never really a Christian, kind of a Christian, not really. He, he was kind of there, but not really there. He was one of these uh, lukewarm people. But, but that's one thing that we're going to get to in a moment when we talk about the institutionalization of it. We need to start from the beginning. Christianity as a social movement. Uh, if you've been with us in our uh, Bible study on the book of Acts, you've started to glean this from our study. Uh, something that's very interesting is that, is that Christianity began as a social movement out of another institutionalized re religion, Judaism. Judaism was, you know, prevalent in Israel as it was always been, you know, it was there. And, and out of Judaism, all of the disciples Jesus himself being a Jew, they begin to see that the institutional religion wasn't quite hitting the mark. In fact, there was something uh, so much bigger that needed to be understood in all of this, and that began this social movement. And I call it a social movement because that's, well, what it was. It was a movement between people. It was a movement that happened socially people connecting together. You know, we have, we, we uh, 
have this expression nowadays, social distancing, which is a terrible expression, uh, but we have this expression, social distancing. Christianity in its, in its uh, outset was quite the opposite of that. It was, it was social, what would be the opposite of distancing? Coming together? I don't know, there should be a more eloquent word there. And this is, this is Christianity in its outset, and it exploded out of that region and kept going and kept spreading and thousands of people are coming to, to embrace this. And then the persecution begins. And the persecution that, uh, that, that took place was pushed back against by the early Christians who understood this movement to be something more profound than just an institutionalized religion. Because it's really easy to give up on an institutionalized religion. Because institutionalized religions make mistakes. They have a lot of errors. They have really weird leaders. It's just an aspect of institutionalized religion. But a social movement is charismatic. A social movement, it's reaching for something more than an institutionalized religion ever could. Um, the, the early church, before it was even called a church, before the name Christian was even coined, the people who followed this movement were known as followers of the way, right? Followers of the way, giving this, giving this understanding that there was, there was something more impactful going on in the life of the church. And they were pushing back against the institutionalized religions of the day. Jesus calls out the religious leaders constantly saying, you hypocrites. And now, what's Probably the most common criticism of Christians today. You hypocrites! Irony, right? In its outset, this social movement was calling out the institutionalized re religions because the institutionalized religions, and I'm going to stop saying that expression because it's going to start sounding weird. The institutionalized religions found themselves in an amount of comfort and security that is unbecoming of a movement. And here's what I mean by that. Comfort and security leads to stagnation. What a word. Comfort and security leads to stagnation. We get the sense that everything is going well. We're in a good spot. Why would we change anything? Why does anything need to be different at all? We've, we've, we've peaked. Like, this is exactly how it's supposed to be, and everything feels good. And then we just settle, and we say, all right, we're done. There's nothing else that needs to be done because we've made it. I'll tell you right now, that right there is the beginning of an end for a church. Churches, uh, as they are today, and you learn this in seminary, but churches have a life cycle, very similar to human beings, uh, except, yeah, anyway. Uh, but they, they follow this arc. This, we call it the life cycle of a church, this arc. And it starts out in infancy, which is, it's like the birth of a new church. And it grows up and it grows, you know, adolescence, all this stuff. And it gets to maturity. And maturity is at the top. The peak, right? And this is the point where everything is going well. 
Like, we've made it. And churches often say, all right, we've made it. Stop changing things. Stop doing anything. We, we need to keep it exactly as we are. And what happens after you've reached the top of an arc? Start going down the other side. And it's inevitable. Fortunately, unlike uh, the life cycle of, of people, I guess you could argue, uh, there is this rebirth uh, thing that happens with, that can happen with churches. After they've hit this decline, they can say, oh wait, we've made a mistake, we do need to keep going. And they can go, they can cycle back through the arc and start the whole process over again, or jump back to a different point in the arc. But it takes this realization that just because we've made it doesn't mean that we're perfect. Just because we've made it doesn't mean there's more, there isn't more room for uh, improvement. Unfortunately, what happens to most churches is we get to this point of comfort and security and we say, okay, we're good. And we get stagnant. And stagnation leads to decline. Have you ever been bedridden for a really long time? I was uh, twice in my life. The only one I can remember was after my second open heart surgery. Uh, you have to lay in a bed for a long time after open heart surgery. I don't know why that is. I was 12 years old and I didn't like that. Uh, but you do. You have to lay in bed for a very long time. And, and I found out that after a long time of laying in bed, it's very difficult to get out of bed on your own for the first time after that. Why? Any medical experts in the house or people who just know? Yeah, atrophy. What a word. Atrophy sets in. It's this point where you stop using your muscles and all of a sudden they deteriorate. And it's much harder to move because you haven't been using them. And so your body thinks these aren't necessary anymore. And so they just shut down. They stop, they stop performing at the capacity they once were able to. And it takes a lot of work to get them back into shape and working again and functioning again. But atrophy, that is the outcome of stagnation. So what, what are we connecting the dots here, okay? So comfort and security leads to stagnation. And stagnation leads to atrophy. In other words, what we end up seeing from, uh, from the church today is that the church reached this point of comfort and security. And it really happened around the late 60s, early 70s. That was like the peak of the uh, church in the US, one of the peaks. And it's kind of been on a decline since then. But it reached this peak of comfort and security and we said, we're good. Like, this is awesome. We're gonna hold it right here. And then we started to stagnate. And we started to hit that decline as atrophy set in. And we started to experience that suddenly the church isn't as viable in the world anymore. Suddenly the church isn't doing what it once did. It's not functioning the same way anymore. Why? Because those muscles that the church was used to exercising started to atrophy. There wasn't as much movement in the church. This atrophy takes on a, a different word in, uh, in our text today, Revelation 3. Uh, always fun to get to preach from Revelation. Uh, it's, it's more interesting whenever I get to talk about the end times, which you'll never hear me do, uh, but it is more interesting. Uh, but this passage particularly is fascinating. Revelation 3 uh, is a continuation of a couple of letters that start out the book of Revelation. Letters to various churches uh, that were out and about, that were kind of growing, some of them doing well, some of them not doing well. One of such churches is the church in Laodicea. 
Laodicea uh, was a very prosperous area, about 100 miles south of Ephesus, because I know you all know ancient geography, so that probably helps with context. So Laodicea, a very prosperous uh, city, and the church there, it exploded pretty quickly and became like a pretty central part of that community. And the letter that gets written to Laodicea starts out by saying, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Not a very encouraging way to start uh, a letter. Anybody ever read that book, I Know What You Did Last Summer? It's like one of those kind of intro letters, like, I know, I know what you've been up to. And it's not good. It's not pretty. You are neither hot nor cold. Why? Remember, Laodicea is a very wealthy uh, city. Like, they're prospering excellently. And so what they've done after the church has boomed and, and, and settled there is they hit that comfort zone. They hit that security place and they say, we're good. We can take care of ourselves. Evidence of this comes in uh, the 60s CE whenever a great earthquake hits the area and Laodicea is able to reject any help from Rome saying, we can rebuild ourselves. We got this. We're good. They hit that moment of security and comfort, and they don't have anything else they feel like they need to rely on but themselves. And so what happens is that comfort and security leads to stagnation, and that stagnation leads to atrophy. And so this letter calls out the church and says, I know, I know your works. Basically, they're non-existent. You are neither cold nor hot. And I should add here, this interpretation of cold and hot uh, we might use this idiom as like saying either on fire or really passive, right? Cold is like you're really passive, hot, you're like on fire. Um, this for in, in this context was more about uh, whether you are either for or against something, right? If you're for something, then you're hot for it. If you're against something, then you're cold for it. Like that was just the terminology of the day. And so uh, the letter, which is meant to be the voice of Christ calling to the churches saying, you are neither for me nor against me, and I wish you would be one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. In other words, I have no need. I have no need for a church that doesn't care, for a church who has set their fate to atrophy. Because at that point, it's really just a social club. It's not a social movement anymore. It's just a social club. And they don't really do a whole lot. They help people make some connections, but other than that, yikes. And so I want to talk about this notion of being lukewarm for just a moment. Anybody here fluent in thermo thermodynamics? All right. Then I'm not going to talk about it too much because you're, you're going to say I'm wrong. Because I don't know anything about thermodynamics. <laughs> I, know, I know a little bit, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into, into this. All right, so what happens whenever a liquid gets hot? Yes, all of these things. Uh, so uh, essentially what's happening like inside the liquid, I know I give you like a really general question. What's happening inside the liquid is the molecules that make up that liquid start moving 
quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker. They spe they're speeding up like this. If it gets cold, then they slow down a lot, and then eventually you have like a solid, transforms into a solid. A liquid, whenever you heat it up, those molecules speed up, speed up, speed up, speed up. Uh, they're just like, they're just going, right? That lukewarm point is the point of balance, I guess you could say, for the molecules, where they're not trying to speed up, they're not trying to slow down, they've just found their comfort zone and they're saying, whatever the room temperature is, I'm good with it. Unfortunately, room temperature stuff doesn't uh, do like a whole lot, particularly for cooking. If you're a cooking person, you don't really use a whole lot of room temperature stuff. Uh, me personally, I, so I'm a coffee drinker, only one, cup, only one cup in the morning, but I have this terrible habit of forgetting about it. I have my cup sitting there filled with piping hot coffee. I need to cool down just a little bit so I can sip it. And then I take a couple of sips and I forget about it. And I come back to it and I try to drink it and it's lukewarm. And I have spit it out once before because it was so shocking. Because lukewarm coffee is not good. I'd rather be an iced coffee or a hot coffee. Lukewarm coffee is no good. So these molecules that, have, that are either speeding up or slowing down within the liquid are... are uh, kind of telling us a story, right, about this, the nature of something that is lukewarm, about the nature of what Christ is looking for in the church, that whenever the church gets acclimated to the temperature of the culture in which it rests in, we stop seeing these molecules speeding up, and we stop seeing these molecules slowing down. We just see them starting to take on the temperature of the culture, of whatever society that church exists in. And there is no more true case than the church in the West. The church in the West is filled with Western comforts of all kinds. I mean, the, the, probably like the... the most obvious way to point this out is, is see how long you can drive down a road, any road, in Mobile, Alabama without seeing a church. You're probably not going to get very far without seeing a church somewhere on some road that you're driving through in Mobile, Alabama. It's just one of the Western comforts to have a building, to have a space to gather. That's a one of those comforts. The church in the East, the church in Africa, uh, churches in, uh, in areas like this, it, they, it's thriving. It's thriving because there's not much of a comfort zone for the church in these climates. There isn't much of a, a comfortable temperature for the church to rest at. And so the church is speeding up. They're taking on this movement, the heat. They're wanting to be hot. They're wanting to, to be on fire for Christ. That's what they're looking to do. But the church in the West has acclimated, and it's not a good look. Because we've taken on these comfort and securities, we've hit the stagnation, and we're starting to experience the atrophy. The United Methodist Church, for one, which we are in right now, is at its lowest population rate uh, membership range uh, since it went through the whole merger with the, the Methodist Episcopal Church and the United, uh, and the United Brethren, Church of the United Brethren. Uh, these, these two that came together in the late 60s, 
that was the biggest, and the church has been on decline since. Why? Because we hit our peak, and we became comfortable, and we started to stagnate, and now we've begun to atrophy, or we're in the atrophy phase, and we're just in that decline. And so, the thing that I want us to take in, in all of this, I've just been like, I feel like I've been all over the place in my words, and here I'm going to try to bring it back together, is that Christianity began as a social movement, and a movement requires energy, okay? And going to step back to the thermodynamics for just a second. Heat, whenever it is applied to a liquid, that is an energy that energizes the molecules to speed up, to engage in their movement. Requires an energy. Beautifully enough, the energy of the Christian movement is the Spirit of God. That's what we've kind of been lacking in all of this. We've gotten really comfortable with our doctrines. We've gotten really comfortable with our theology. We've gotten really comfortable with the way things should be. But we've really, really neglected the Spirit of God's activity in us. The energy, the very life force that is meant to sustain the church has been very much forgotten and it's, it's led to this stagnation and this atrophy because this whole comfort zone thing starts whenever we start saying we're good or I don't need that. I'm talking about help. Whenever the church feels like it can take care of itself, that's typically the point where the church is going to be in decline. Whenever the church starts feeling like it's peaked, that's typically when we're going to start seeing the decline. The church in Laodicea started saying, I don't, we don't need the whole God thing anymore because we're good. We can pay for it all. Like, we're loaded. We've got this. And those comforts lead to stagnation, lead to atrophy. And that atrophy, which Revelation calls lukewarm, is no good. It's not going to get us anywhere. And so our series that we're in in this month is a series called Movement. And we're going to be talking about this concept a lot. This concept in next week we're going to bring in Isaac Newton into the church. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but we're going to be talking about this, this notion of movement and, you know, moving, motion, all of this kind of stuff, because that's what Christianity started as, a social movement, and we've lost a lot of that movement to our stagnation and to our atrophy, and our muscles have gotten weak, and it's much harder to move, but we just need to exercise them, my friends. We need to get that movement back, and part of that requires the energy, the spirit. You'll notice, though, if you've seen in your bulletin the sermon series title, Looks like it's a string of Roman numerals. It's not. Uh, movement, I did this pretty intentionally, left out the vowels to show that there's something missing. There's something missing from this movement. And so through this series, we're going to be identifying those things that are missing. And today, we're looking at the energy that is missing from this movement. The energy that's required to heat up a substance, a liquid, uh, to get it to this point where the molecules are bouncing faster and faster and faster and moving again. Because that's what we need. Here are these words that, that this letter kind of closes out to the church in Laodicea. Listen. This is verse 20. Listen. I am standing at the door knocking. 
If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Oh, this is beautiful. Jesus saying, listen. Don't turn a deaf ear to this. You need to take this in. Listen. I stand at the door and knock. The United Methodist Church adopted a slogan in the early 2000s. Uh, you've probably seen it around. Open hearts, open minds, open doors. It was meant to be this understanding that the United Methodist Church is a place of openness, and it was based around this concept of grace that the United Methodist Church holds to so firmly. Unfortunately, it's a lot harder to keep things open than it is to keep things closed. Oh my goodness, how much easier it is to keep doors closed and locked. How much easier it is to keep our minds closed and not be open to the possibility that we might be wrong about something. That's just our day today. Oh, how much easier it is to close off our hearts because loving the way Christ loved takes too much work. But Jesus says, I stand at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. And I'll tell you one thing, my friends. There is not a single person who sat down to a meal with Christ and left the exact same person. Each time Christ sits down for a meal with somebody, they leave transformed. Take Levi, who we know as Matthew, one of the disciples, and also the supposed author of the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew, or Levi, was a, uh, was a, a tax collector. Like one of the bad people. Like somebody that people were not thrilled to have around. And after a meal with Christ, Matthew takes on a whole new life. Take also those disciples who were on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus shows up and walks with them, and they get to Emmaus, and they have a meal together. And after their meal, their hearts were on fire, right? And they returned back to uh, Jerusalem to continue this ministry. There's not a person who can have a meal with Christ and come away the exact same person. And so whenever we're talking about Jesus being at the door knocking, what we're asking is for the church to let in the Spirit of God that the church might be transformed, that we, the people of the church, might be transformed and living into this movement. And so that's my challenge for us this week. Open the door for Christ. Open the door for Christ this week in your lives, and let him move you the way that only Christ knows how. Because we're missing that movement. We've become far too comfortable. We've become far too stagnant. We've become far too atrophied. And we need to get up and move. So let this be the beginning of a new movement for the church. And let us pray.